Chapter Four of Pioneer Work in the Alps of New Zealand by Arthur Paul Harper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gail Timmerman Vaughan. Chapter Four, The Waiho River, Franz Joseph Glacier, Journey Southwards, Waiho River, Lake Maporika, Terminal Face, Camp One, Attempts on Glacier, Hot Springs, Camp Two, Camp Three, Icefall, Baffled return on the sixth october eighteen ninety three mr c e douglas and i left hokitika with instructions to map lake ianthe some forty miles south along the road and thence traverse the wanganui river to the sea from the ferry on the road after which we had to make our way further south to the waiho river and explore the franz joseph glacier a daily coach runs to ross a small mining township of five hundred inhabitants twenty miles from hokitika and thence there is a weekly pack-horse mail service to Gillespie's Beach, 88 miles south of Ross, and near the mouth of Cook River. We therefore put our small supply of clothing on the coach as far as Ross, and here obtained three weeks' stores and a pack-horse to carry them to Lake Ianthe. It took us to the 20th to finish our work on the lake, and on the 22nd we started in a small dugout or canoe hollowed out of a tree down the outlet which flowed into the Wanganui River and on the 24th went down the river to the sea, having some very narrow escapes in the foaming rapids. Our craft was only six feet by two feet, and very clumsily made, so we had a good deal to be thankful for in getting down safely. It was largely due to luck, helped by Douglas's steering. Next day we returned on foot to our camp, some seven miles up the river, and thence carried our impedimenta five miles on to Hendy's Ferry, which is on the main south track, thirty miles south of Ross. This road, after leaving Ross, skirts along the foot of the hills, and crosses the Wanganui at Hendy's Ferry, 30 miles, the Wataroa River at Gunn's Ferry, 50 miles, branches off to Lake Mapurica on the left hand, and Ocorito, 64 miles from Ross, on the right hand side. From the latter place, which lies on the sea beach, the road is non-existent, and it is just possible to take a wheeled vehicle to that point the journey occupying about three days from Hokitika. From Hendy's Ferry, where we slept, we carried our loads and tramped guns on the Wataroa, and on the 20th of October went on to the Miner's Rest at the Forks, a settlement at the point where the road branches. The Forks is a township which can boast of a public house and one digger's hut, though in old days it had a large population when plenty of gold was being obtained there. Now, however, only two or three parties are working near it, and, on mail night especially, the whole neighboring population, of perhaps ten, assemble at the miners' rest. I am sorry to say they do not confine themselves to tea. On these occasions politics form the chief topic of conversation, because numbers of diggers, having Hansard's parliamentary reports sent to them gratis, and religiously reading every word, are keen politicians. I cannot conceive anyone wading through these reports, for when it is remembered that there are some members in the house who speak for no other reason than to see themselves or for their constituents to see them in hansard it can be imagined what sort of reading they afford one evening when we were waiting for pack-horses to take our stores as far as possible up the waiho river i became involved in a political discussion one of the diggers charged me with being a capitalist how can i be a capitalist when i've no money i answered Money, he explained, has nothing to do with it. I remonstrated. He said, 
Well, I don't know about your money, but you speak like a capitalist. I again objected that I could hardly be called a capitalist if I had no capital. So he changed his ground and said, well, you're a conservative anyway. Being of opinion that there were no conservatives in this colony, and objecting to the expression, I thought this a good opportunity to find out what politicians meant by it. So I replied, Ah, yes, I may be a conservative, but you must tell me what a conservative is before I can answer. A conservative, he said hesitatingly, is, er, is a man you don't agree with. I always suspected this to be the truth of the matter, for each party generally dubs itself the great liberal party, which I suppose implies that the other side are conservatives. On the 31st we obtained two horses, and went on towards Franz Joseph Glacier. About three miles from the forks is Maparika Township, which consists of a store and a public house, with a small population of ten or twenty diggers. Here we procured our necessaries. A horse can be taken right up to the terminal face of the glacier, so there was no need to procure all our stores at once. We therefore only ordered enough for a month or six weeks, for we might perhaps finish our work in that time, if favoured with fine weather, and if not, could easily have more sent up. After leaving the township, the road, or horse track, skirts the beautiful Maparika Lake, and many lovely views are to be seen through openings in the bush. To see this lake to advantage, it is necessary to stay a day or two at the township, and hire a boat. I camped on a promontory, halfway up the lake, for a week, in January 1894, when surveying it, at the time of the full moon, and the views day and night, were glorious. At the southern end, the snowy peaks of the Bismarck Range tower into the sky, with Mounts Cook and Tasman just appearing over them. And at a distance of nine miles, the Franz Joseph Glacier is seen coming out of the valley, between bush-clad hills, and apparently pushing its way into the bush at the head of the lake. In the foreground are numerous promontories, with great trees overhanging and reflecting in the perfectly still water, or perhaps the limb of some fallen giant stands naked out of the placid surface of the lake. After my day's work, I used to get into my boat and drift about on the lake, smoking the pipe of contentment and watching the last rays of the sun, throwing a pink glow over the great snow peaks and the gloom gradually deepening over the glacier and lower valleys. Then the moon would rise and shed its white light over the whole scene and make me loth to return to my camp in the bush with its mosquitoes. About eight miles from Maparika Township, after leaving the lake, the track passes a farm on the river flats of the Totra and Waiho rivers, on which sheep and cattle are grazed, and which is one of the few farms in the south where more than a living can be made. This is chiefly owing to the fairly large number of diggers in the district. The homestead is only a small house, but it is surrounded by a few acres of cleared land laid down in grass, and forms a pleasing contrast to the sombre-coloured bush and hills behind. Crossing the Totara River, the track continues for two miles to the Waiho River, where some four or five parties are gold-digging and have their huts, one of them Mr. Jim Nisbet, having been there for over twenty years. His hut is on the north side of the river, just below where the left-hand branch, or Callery River, joins the glacier branch, or Waiho. From Nisbet's hut, a small foot-track runs along the bank of the former river for half a mile to a wire-suspension footbridge, which spans the stream some fifty feet above the water, at the mouth of a magnificent gorge. This is one of the finest gorges I know, within easy reach of tourists. 
the river is a large glacier-fed stream and descends very rapidly through a deep and narrow rocky gorge above which the mountains rise abruptly to the height of three thousand or four thousand feet the contrast of dark green bush on the almost precipitous hillsides with the grey rock walls of the gorge rising one hundred feet sheer and overhanging out of the river which comes boiling and roaring down over immense boulders is very grand while in the distance between the bush-clad hills can be seen the glaciers of drummond's peak some miles up the calorie river on the small level piece of ground between the two branches and at the foot of a rounded hill the doughboy there is a digger's hut called the hospital and a few chains further on the bank of the glacier or right-hand branch are some hot springs of which more will be said the county council bought this hut for the use of tourists and others who visited the hot springs but as only one or two come in the year andrew gordon and a woodham working a claim close by had taken possession by the hot springs another footbridge spanned the glacier branch but that was swept away in february eighteen ninety four by a flood however we used it constantly while there the government are now building another across the Waiho, below the junction of the two rivers, from Nesbitt's hut to the south bank, and have formed a fair horse-track to the terminal face of the glacier. After crossing the second footbridge, we had only one and one-half miles to go to the spot chosen for our head camp, which we pitched on November 1st, in some tall scrub within four hundred yards of the glacier. To this point numerous persons had been in the past, but the glacier and the upper valley had not been touched, presumably because no one having any knowledge of ice-craft had been there. Our camp has not yet been described, and, as it is the simplest and best form of shelter for a party of two, working in rough country and near forest or scrub, an exact description of it may prove useful. It is an invention of Douglas's, and we call it a bat-wing. In the ordinary course of camp life, survey parties can have their loads packed on horseback and carry tent and fly with a second smaller fly to pitch at the end of the tent to shelter the fire we however have to carry all our goods and chattels on our backs and over very rough unexplored country so could not afford to take such a weighty camp we therefore pitch an ordinary six foot by eight foot canvas tent on a ridge pole with an eight foot by ten foot fly six inches above it and cut the tent in half along the ridge and taking away one half, leave the other standing. This is just large enough to allow two men to lie, heads and tails. The front or side is left open, and one side of the fly, which was over the half taken away, is raised about four feet in the middle, and the two corners slightly less. Under this the fire burns about three feet away from the remaining half of the tent, so that in wet weather we have shelter for ourselves and fire, and save more than half the weight and though rather cramped for room, are fairly comfortable. Should a heavy gale of wind make the shelter too cold, or cause discomfort by blowing the smoke into the bat-wing, we make a break-wind of ferns or branches across in front to protect us. We never have more than this to cover us, and often when necessary to travel in light order, trust to finding some friendly rock to sleep under, or build a mai-mai with bark and ferns. Our stores arrived by pack-horse, next day from Maporica, a ford rather below Nesbitt's hut, having been found for the horses. Having made ourselves fairly comfortable, and ready for a long stay, I spent the afternoon in looking about the terminal face, and reconnoitring to determine our best mode of attacking the very rough glacier in front of us. 
the exact position of the terminal face of the franz joseph glacier is lat south forty three degrees twenty five minutes thirty seconds long east one hundred and seventy degrees ten minutes fifty eight seconds or rather nearer the equator than florence in italy it comes down to within fourteen miles of the sea to an altitude of only six hundred and ninety two feet above sea level it is about half a mile broad and showed an upper layer of white ice pushing its way over a lower layer which carried dirt and stones there are five isolated roche standing at intervals across the valley at the terminal face on the right-hand side is the sentinel rock two hundred and thirty-six feet high the largest a few feet to the left comes the muller rock sixty feet high the strontian rock lies nearly three chains further to the left and is about one hundred and sixty feet high and lastly the barren rock fifty feet in height lies near the river which flowed out on the extreme left or east side of the glacier behind the sentinel rock with the ice still pressing against it is a rock since named the harper rock about one hundred and seventy feet in height with some moraine debris on its summit which must have been deposited within the last few years as no moss or vegetation was to be seen there some eight chains to the left and still surrounded by ice the park rock one hundred and ninety feet lies behind the strontian and is raked by a running fusillade of falling ice from the towering pinnacles behind for the purpose of understanding this interesting array of rocks across the valley reference can be made to the sketch plan of the terminal face of franz joseph glacier given in chapter eleven the best point from which to get a general idea of the valley and glacier is the sentinel rock and thither i went as soon as possible to form a plan of attack the glacier being in such warm latitude and low altitude and having such a rapid descent is naturally very much broken and crevassed from the sentinel the great icefall can be seen at a distance of two and three-quarters miles descending in a little over a mile one thousand eight hundred feet even from such a distance it presents a grand appearance below it the glacier sweeps round a slight bend and comes straight down in gigantic waves to the terminal face there are evidently rocks of the same kind as those exposed at the snout under the ice for some way up the valley as the glacier has the appearance of heaving or lurching from side to side on its way down between high rocky walls which rise out of the ice the idea conveyed to my mind was that of water forced at an angle into a narrow rocky channel and forming waves which rebounded from one side to the other obliquely across the course of the stream the extent and height of these waves may be seen from some measurements taken just above cape defiance assuming the south bank to be zero the heights taken every one hundred and sixty yards across the glacier were as follows zero twenty one eighty forty ninety five fifty five one hundred and seventy seven two hundred and twenty nine and two hundred and five feet the glacier flows from south to north and after leaving the neve and coming down over the steep slope which forms the icefall it enters a narrow rock-bound valley of a little over half a mile in width on the eastern or left-hand side looking up the rock slopes back for some two hundred to three hundred feet and then disappears into luxuriant timber which close the hills up to the usual limit this rocky bank is cut here and there into deep gorges and bluffs by streams from the hills 
on the western side the range rises abruptly out of the ice for the first three hundred to five hundred feet a bare ice-worn precipice fringed with scrub and bush growing on almost precipitous hillsides for some thousands of feet above here and there fine waterfalls drop over the cliffs into the ice the surface of the glacier contrary to the general rule with new zealand glaciers is practically clear of debris with exception of a narrow strip along the western side coming from a patch of rocks near the head of the icefall this accumulates in the bend above cape defiance a promontory of rock which obstructs the flow of ice on the western side about two miles up the glacier and continues until it joins a larger piece of surface moraine about half a mile from the terminal face evidently caused by a slip a year or two previous the debris left by the slip will no doubt have fallen over the terminal face and entirely disappeared by the end of eighteen ninety eight the very broken nature of the glacier is the real cause of its cleanliness and freedom from surface moraine as the debris falls into crevasses and comes out at the terminal face in the lower layer of dirty ice from the general appearance of the valley it was evident that the best plan would be to cross the river and get on to the eastern bank for the ice looked too rough for a practical route and the western side was too precipitous to attempt accordingly on november the fourth after some heavy rain i went across to the outlet and endeavoured without success to pass over the river on the glacier while douglas went down to nesbitt's hut to bring up the remainder of our stores which had been left there owing to a flood in the river i found that the ice was very soft and broken all along the side and that it was unsafe to attempt a landing on the bank near the terminal face in fact it was a decidedly difficult business to get up the sheer ice face on to the glacier the only course left open to us was to try and force a way straight up the glacier on the seventh we managed after some gymnastic feats to reach a point about one mile up the glacier on the western side but the last one hundred and twenty yards having taken an hour amongst very bad seracs we gave up the attempt and returned to camp the following morning was spent in again trying to get over the river on the ice to the eastern bank without success and in the afternoon we went on to the glacier behind the sentinel rock which appeared from subsequent examination to be the only possible route to reach the more level ice in the centre from this point we made our way up and across the glacier by slow degrees crawling between crevasses and cutting steps up and down high and almost perpendicular hummocks and after three hours were able to step ashore on the eastern bank about a mile from the terminal for two or three hundred feet above the ice the hillside is bare ice-worn rock sloping back at an angle of twenty-five degrees and along this we went for a short distance until a deep gorge stopped us as it was late we decided to return to camp and move it up to a suitable place on this bank at the same time bringing up a spare rope to fix at the gorge we always take a dog with us to catch kiwis etc for food but as our work for some weeks would be on the ice it was necessary to dispense with the dog's company when i joined douglas i found he had an old friend betsy a black purebred mongrel as he called her and up to this point she had been a faithful though somewhat useless companion accordingly while douglas took her down to the beach for an old digger friend to look after her for a time i went off to the small farm on the totara river obtained half a sheep 
and returned to the hospital to sleep. Before returning to camp on the following day, I had a bathe in the hot springs. On nearly every river on the west coast, there are mineral hot springs. Their heat is not due in any way to volcanic agency, and though I have tried to obtain an analysis of the water, some accident has always happened, and I have failed to get particulars. It is generally the case that a mile or so before the river emerges from the hills, a mineral spring is to be found in the bed of the stream, in which case the water will be hot. Sometimes, however, the spring is a few feet above the river level and only warm. The two best I know are those on the Waihau, a mile and a half below the glacier, and on the Fox River, a mile from the Fox Glacier. In each case they are situated in the river bed, covered at flood time, and often, after the river has resumed its normal level, they are completely buried in gravel. On the flat near the hospital, hot water can be found almost anywhere. At the depth of six feet, it would be warm. At eight feet, below the surface, or on the edge of the river bed, the temperature is 120 degrees. And at ten feet, or two feet below the river bed, the temperature is 132 degrees, the hottest I obtained. Their rise and fall correspond with that of the river, showing great activity when the latter is high. In order to have a good bathe, the plan was to take a long-handled shovel, scoop out a hollow, and letting it fill in with water, lie down in it and stew. If, however, the bath proves uncomfortably hot, it is easy to let in a little ice water from the river a yard or two away, or even catch a piece of floating ice and place it in the pool. It was a new and pleasing sensation to lie in a hot spring under the shade of tree ferns and enjoy the glorious view of a glacier within a mile and a half ploughing its way down between steep hills clothed in luxuriant forest and backed by high snow and ice-clad peaks when going up a river there is no difficulty in locating these springs for their smell is strong and rather objectionable douglas said that quote, you smell as if you've been having tea with the evil one inside an old gasometer end quote, after having a bathe in one of them i cannot vouch for the correctness of the comparison as i have never had tea under such conditions but can quite imagine the combination would produce much the same effect on douglas's return we moved camp and some three weeks provisions across the glacier and along the eastern side to a point about a mile and a half up the valley and ascending four hundred feet up the ice-worn rocks found a capital camping place amongst great rata trees and alongside a clear stream of water which ran in a deep water-worn channel down to the glacier with many small pools in which to bathe situated as we were at camp two in fine rata bush with a luxuriant undergrowth of tree ferns and other plants which in england would be called semi-tropical vegetation it was difficult to believe that we were a mile and a half up and three hundred feet above a glacier through an opening in the trees in front of our batwing lofty snow-capped peaks could be seen a mile away across the valley rising in precipices from steep slopes clothed with dark green bush while below a pure white glacier flowed at our feet presenting as fine an instance of crevassed and broken ice as could be wished a near view of alpine peaks with a foreground of trees is of course met with in many places but it is doubtful 
whether the beautiful combination of tree ferns semi-tropical vegetation glacier and snow-clad mountains can be seen anywhere else except on the fox glacier from the rocky platform at the edge of the bush a few yards from the camp we overlooked the glacier flowing past in great broken waves down to the terminal face beyond which were glimpses of the river as it wound in and out of the old moraine hillocks covered with luxuriant timber to the large river flats below and fourteen miles away the blue sea was plainly visible with the white horses raised by a squall of wind one result of the neighbourhood of the ice is that alpine plants such as the nai-nai broom daisies and edelweiss are found growing amongst the vegetation of the low country i found one plant of the last named growing within eight hundred feet of sea level on the sentinel rock it does not appear to grow more luxuriantly at so low an altitude but on the whole is rather stunted finding the ice at the side of the glacier very rotten we attempted to continue along the side and succeeded in reaching a rocky cape which rose about a half a mile further up the valley on ascending the point we discovered that the rock side had lost its gentle slope and rose out of the ice in a perpendicular face of several hundred feet smooth and ice-worn there was no route along here so we returned looking out for a place where we could cross the rough side ice and reach the more level surface in the centre of the glacier the whole of the sixteenth was spent in trying to find a route on to the glacier at seventy or eighty yards from the side broad crevasses ran across and along the line of flow consequently though the surface was fairly level it was cut up into huge seracs and hummocks after five unsuccessful attempts we found a fairly good route which however necessitated some peculiar acrobatic performances twice or thrice i had to let douglas down bodily into a crevasse so that he could cut steps up to me the side being too perpendicular to allow us to cut downwards in comfort and then i had to cut steps up again on the other side for perhaps forty feet using the axe with only one hand and holding on to the ice with the other no doubt had the glacier been at a higher altitude there would have been no difficulty in finding several routes but here the ice was terribly rotten occasionally we would hear a report like a pistol shot or louder and feel a tremble under our feet or see a large serac fall down which looked strong enough to stand for days under these circumstances therefore we had to be most careful to choose a good line because it had been decided to move camp again to cape defiance a mile or so further up on the opposite side in order to have a good point from which to attack the great icefall and do our work on the neve if weather came on and delayed us in the upper camp for a week it would be possible that our retreat to camp too would be cut off by reason of the frequent changes in the surface ice having spent some days in survey work and wet weather on the twenty second we each took forty pound loads including camera and instruments and made for cape defiance two thousand eight hundred and sixty four feet it occupied just an hour and a quarter to go some two hundred yards before we reached the good travelling in the centre when fossicking for this route the week previous our gymnastic feats were most interesting and amusing as we had only a camera to carry but now with our loads we found it not only trying but most difficult the swags had to be lowered and pulled up again frequently receiving very rough handling regardless of their contents 
the centre of the glacier was fairly good going for a short distance and then we got amongst some bad crevasses again with long narrow ridges between often after crawling along several of these razorbacks we would find our way blocked by a break in the ridge and be compelled to retrace our steps and try another line luckily anticipating some such work as this i had brought a bundle of leafy twigs of rata to stick into the ice and mark our route to save time on the return because had we taken the wrong razorback at the start we might have had an hour's work for nothing consequently when we emerged from the rough ice close under cape defiance there was a trail of rata twigs behind which would ensure more speedy travel in the future at cape defiance we found the only real piece of lateral moraine on the glacier about eighteen chains long this cape or point is formed by a spur which projects across the flow of the glacier and narrowing the valley by a quarter of a mile causes the ice to back up behind it to a considerable height on the upper side of the spur the lateral moraine lies at right angles to the general flow of the glacier the ice having swept down into the bed and then turning in an eddy flowed along and around the cape in the valley formed by the moraine and hillside we built a level floor of large stones on which to place our batwing heavy rain had set in at noon so we were fairly wet through and uncomfortable by the time we had pitched the camp behind us the hillside had dense alpine scrub on it and rose very steeply to the rocky pinnacles of mount moltke to the right a stream quote, harper's creek end quote, it has since been named came down from the ice fields of the same peak the valley down which this creek flows is very steep and on the upper side has sheer rocky precipices which are two thousand feet high near the glacier and as the valley rises they gradually become lower until at the head they are only some five hundred feet over this rock wall a waterfall the unser fritz descends in one leap one thousand two hundred and nine feet being the drainage of the andermatten and baumann glaciers on mount rune in front of us was the grand ice-fall in all its glory one thousand eight hundred feet or more in height and a mile wide presenting a dazzling array of towering seracs and deep blue crevasses i have seen many fine ice-falls in switzerland and new zealand but very much doubt if any except perhaps the Haast glacier on the tasman is as grand as that of the franz joseph though i call it one thousand eight hundred feet in height it may be said that for three thousand feet at the least the glacier is really an ice-fall on the twenty-fourth we made an attempt to force a way to the neve after three hours we reached the head of the ice-fall by means of a fairly smooth strip of ice caused by the inflow of the almer glacier on the left it is generally the rule that where two glaciers join the crevasses and seracs are much smaller than elsewhere but after passing the junction nothing could be done the neve snow was within a quarter of a mile smooth and white but between us was a field of ice broken into seracs and crevasses in a manner which it is impossible to conceive without seeing douglas said it looked like a bird's-eye view of an eastern town with a deep blue streak between each and every house the seracs were all square and flat-topped but surrounded by apparently bottomless crevasses i could see that the only way to make a successful traverse up this glacier was in the early spring when the winter snow would form bridges over this impossible piece of ice 
it would only be waste of time to attempt to go any further, because nothing could be done without a ladder of at least twenty-five feet. It was also raining heavily, so we returned to camp, and spent the afternoon in making sundry observations, etc. On the following morning we went up the spur behind the camp, to five thousand feet or so, in order to get some compass shots into the upper basin of the neve. From this point the outlook was splendid. Immediately on the right, across Harper's Creek, within a few chains, was the great Unser Fritz waterfall, with its two small glaciers and enormous precipices on each side. To the southeast we got a clear view for a short time into the main neve coming off Mount de la Beche, and the saddles leading into the Tasman Glacier. Opposite us we saw the Elmer Glacier, a fine open ice-field coming off Stirling Rock, behind which Drummond's Peak showed a peculiar array of tooth-like rocks rising out of the field of snow. On the other side of this range lies the Callery River, which joins the Waiho by the hospital. Over the low country to the north, the view was good, but limited. The glacier to the terminal face lay two thousand feet below, at the foot of great precipices, over which a grand series of waterfalls fell, with a roar, into the ice. Beyond it lay Lake Mapurica, and the sea-coast was easily visible to the Wateroa Bluff. The clouds, however, soon hid everything, and more heavy rain compelled our descent to camp. Next morning, in still bad weather, we retired down the glacier to camp too, having decided that no route lay up the ice to the neve. The ice on the line of route had altered very much, even during the last three or four days, and had it not been for my rata twigs left on the way up, we should have had hard work to find a way. Sometimes we would see a piece of rata thirty feet away and take a quarter of an hour to work round to it. The ice at the place where we had to leave the glacier was even more altered than elsewhere, and it was difficult to recognize the way which we had followed when getting on from the rocks. However, by lowering Douglas to cut steps once or twice, we were able to come off safely and reach camp too, at 4 p.m., pretty wet and hungry. We now decided to try a high-level route along the top of the range, behind the camp, onto the Elmer Neve, and across it, over a shoulder of Stirling Rock, to the main neve. This would involve a considerable amount of track-cutting, or blazing, in the dense bush and scrub, and probably with the bad weather we were having, would take some time. I therefore went to Camp 1, at the terminal face, and Douglas went on to the township at Maparica for more stores. Unfortunately, while there, he had a bad attack of influenza, lasting nearly three weeks, and so, Beyond perfecting the survey and taking some observations of glacier motion, little could be done for the present. In naming the tributary glaciers and peaks, which had not already received names from the low country trigonometrical stations, we used those of Swiss guides in Almer, Cross, Bauman glaciers, etc. It is often hard to find names, so we use those of one class for one valley and another class for another locality as far as possible. End of chapter 4